Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. So my relationship with my mom has never really been great from childhood um, and has gone through some really difficult patches including lots of drama, some alienation. Um, It wasn't until I was in my 30s that I could start to understand why all of that had happened and that was because of issues she'd had through her childhood which then kind of got taken out on me as a child but unfortunately the damage is, is... is too deep for for us to have a a proper relationship. No trust or bond was able to be built and anything that was built was subsequently just broken. Um, But through a lot of work that I've done, through therapy and other other things, I've got to a place where I can have a civil adult relationship with her, which is quite positive um, because in the past we've been in some really dark places. Coming up in today's episode... We talk to Roscoe Hesseldean on why society sets mothers and daughters up for conflict. What happened in our grandmother's life and what happens in our mother's life and what happens in our lives, that directly impacts how mothers and daughters relate. Karina White of Black Mums Up Front reflects on her upbringing with the woman who raised her. There's that scene where uh, Martin Lawrence's daughter's boyfriend comes to the door and, like, Will Smith's standing there, like, intimidating him. That is my aunt. (laughs) Plus, we hear more testimonials from our brilliant listeners. As a 27-year-old young lady living with my 63-year-old mum, I think we get on very well. We communicate together. We acknowledge that we're never going to have that kind of relationship where we're each other's best friends, but we're able to laugh together, cry together, scream at the radio together, and it just works really well. I have a really great appreciation for all that my mum does for me after she helped me recover from my eating disorder over the last few years, and she He's been the main support system and just the light of my life. Get away from me! No, you don't rule my life. You're not going to Spain, and that's that. Why not? Because I said so, all right? And I have to do everything you say, do I? No! You can't tell me what to do! You ain't my mother! Yes, I am! If you send us a sort of anything, it's that mother-daughter relationships are incredibly complicated, <laughs> aren't they, Rachel? They are indeed. Maybe not quite to the extent of a Kat and Zoe Slater scenario, but nevertheless, <laughs> yeah. you know, there are a lot of ups and downs for all of us outside of Soapland, I think. And that is really why we wanted to draw on this topic for our final episode of the season because there is so much to get at and we kind of stumbled across the idea of doing an episode on mother-daughter relationships 
when we were researching the episode on women and anger, um, it just came up as something that makes women quite angry, that friction that exists within that part of their private lives. And we really just wanted to find out why and get into it a bit more. When we had a planning meeting about mother-daughter relationships, everyone kind of had little bits and tidbits that they wanted to share. Mm. And that's kind of a very good sign that I think a topic something to explore. So my relationship with my mum has changed a lot over the years. I am embarrassed to think about what our relationship was like when I was a teenager. Were you grumpy? Worse than that. That is an understatement. <laughs> I was wild. We we used to fall out mm. quite a lot and that remained the case until I left home at 18 to go to uni. We speak mm. every day now, but that wasn't the case for about five years, I don't think. I don't think that's an uncommon experience. I think that, you know, there's a there's a stereotype about teenage girls and their mums falling out and not getting on. And then I think for me personally, I realised that, you know, she's on my side. What about you? What's your relationship with your mum like? It's, it's funny hearing you talk because um, I didn't have that volatile relationship with my mum in my teens, but my sister absolutely did. There was no space for me to do any arguing because, you know, she she had that by herself. So yeah, it never that never really happened with me and my mum. We've always been pretty close, I would say. And I think that partly comes from her being a single parent for some of my childhood, you know, before she got remarried, it was just her. My mum and I have had a quite a special relationship out of that, I think. Like about five years ago, we went on a holiday together. And I remember at the time, quite a lot of my friends saying, oh my God, I'd never do that with my mum. And I was just <laughs> like, yeah, why wouldn't I? Mm. She's great. <laughs> and that was my first moment of realising that our relationship is perhaps not the same as a lot of people's relationships. But I would say that 90% of the time we get on like an absolute house on fire. But that 10% of the time when we're not in agreement, it can be explosive. And I sometimes mm. wonder why we have those more explosive disagreements. And I think maybe it's just because we're so similar. Yeah. Maybe there's that your teenage years coming out. <laughs> maybe. Now. No, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> I say that my relationship with my mum is really, really great now, but there's no one else that I kind of get snappy at. We moved house earlier this year and my parents helped me and my boyfriend and they cancelled their plans and helped us. And little things like my mum suggesting that, I don't know, a piece of furniture could go somewhere that I didn't think it should go. I would just be like, no, why would it go there? Like a teenager, <laughs> it's just so... And then I think about it, I'm like, I wouldn't speak to anyone else like that. Yeah. And I'm just like, why do I do that? It's too easy to like regress to like a child-adult dynamic yeah, when you're both adults. Really I also think something that makes mother-daughter relationships particularly tricky is when mothers can sometimes place their own happiness on their daughters. When your mum says things like, oh, when do I get to be a grandmother? It puts... Back off. <laughs> yeah, it puts so much pressure on daughters. It's just a lot, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's a lot. They kind of have no shame. <laughs> when we moved in here into my house, we my mum said to me and my boyfriend, which was so weird, oh, I can imagine little kids poking their heads through the banisters. We were like, oh, <laughs> it's so weird. <laughs> off. Like, yeah, it is, Jesus. it is tough. Sometimes I wonder if the reason that comes up a lot 
it's just because our mum's lives were so different from ours. So if I take like my mum as an example, she was married at 18. She had yeah. two kids and a mortgage on a house by the time she was my age, 29. And then when mm. she was into her 30s, she was well on her way to getting divorced and then getting married all mm. over again. So mm. I just think it means that our contexts are always going to be different. She is really, really supportive, but I think she'll mm. never truly really understand my life and I will never truly understand hers just because it's mm. it's a different time yeah and that's why the relationship is so fascinating as well something else that I wanted to talk about is the difference between my mum's relationship with my younger brother mm. so my mum mothers the hell out of him She's always done everything for him. He always gets excuses for him. Like, oh, you know, that's just boys. Boys are useless. Mm. Rah, rah, rah. Whereas with me, I wouldn't have it any other way, but I'm a lot more independent of my mum. It's like a different expectation for you. Yeah, it's mm. a different expectation. And I'm not sure where that's where that's come from, if it's come from me or if, if it's come from my mum. So, yeah, I'm not sure why. It's interesting, isn't it? It is really fascinating. And... I also think as well, something we wanted to highlight is that, you know, for a lot of people, this is more than raised voices or teenage squabbles. Mm -hmm. Like we know it's a really tough and deeply personal topic for some people. We're just really looking forward to drilling down into this relationship between two women that is so unique, but yet so universal today. Just to find out what's going on at the crux of it, but also if it has become, you know, a negative relationship, figuring out how we can break that cycle and hopefully walking away with a lot of positivity that we can all take from this, whatever our relationship with our mums currently is. You're listening to Am I Making You Uncomfortable? And if you want to join the conversation, use the hashtag AIMYU. As a mum myself right now, I relate to a lot of the juggling that mothers have, the superpowers that mothers have, and uh, the amazing work that they do. And also, um, I would think that sometimes I do sound like my own mother without noticing it. You know, accidentally I say something and then I stop and realize, oh my God, I sound like my mother. And that's pretty funny. Today we're joined by Karina White, one of the co-founders of Black Mums Upfront, an online platform highlighting stories around black motherhood. She joins us together with her aunt, Eleanor, who partly raised her and is like a mother figure to Karina. Thank you so much, both of you, for joining us. Thank you for having us. You're welcome. So we wanted to start off by hearing a bit about your story. Um, can you tell us, Karina, how did Eleanor become a mother figure to you? Um, my mum, Dorrit, um, became ill with cancer when I was about, I think when I was about 13, maybe 12, 13, and then passed away when I was 17. So um, in stepped Auntie Eleanor, superwoman, and kind of um, without even speaking about it, really adopted that mother figure role um, quite prominently uh, when my mum passed. But she has been an active figure within m raising me um, throughout the whole of my childhood. That must have been an incredibly difficult experience for you to go through at such a young age, Karina. 
but you're incredibly lucky to have had your aunt with you. Do you feel that there was a transition from aunt to niece to where you are now? Not really. For a disclaimer, I was always a very cheeky child. (laughs) My aunt would be the one who would always be able to reason with me. As I became older and I became a mother myself, we never sat down and said, right, I'm going to be that mother figure in your life now. It was just one of those Mm. things that happened. I think it was natural because from day one, from she was born, I have been in their lives. I think they would have seen me at least once a week, Mm. either at my house or theirs. And I also along with their mother, shared the disciplinary role, (laughs) um, as well as the support, the encouragement, etc. So it was quite a natural transition. It's funny she says the discipline role, because my mum used to think discipline was, you know, if I'd been misbehaving or being cheeky, it's like, right, you're going to your aunt's for the week. And I'd be like, well, I'm going to a house. It's just going to be me and her. Woohoo. Like, I don't have to share anything with my siblings. Like, it's quicker to get to school from her house. That I'm sorry. That was not a punishment. <laughs> It seems like if there were sometimes, you know, you mentioned answering your aunt back and things like that as you got a little bit older. Eleanor, can you tell us, did you ever have any of those (laughs) typical like mother-daughter issues or squabbles or any of those things that started happening? Yes. As Karina said, she had always been quite outspoken and have quite a lot to say about everything and anything, (laughs) regardless of whether she knew the facts or not. (laughs) So she wasn't shy in coming forward. And I think after her mother died, she went through, as you would, a really rough emotional period. Mm -hmm. And I just felt that it was best, yes, to caution her. Mm. But what was more important was to show her love and support. And I remember her first boyfriend, <laughs> and because I would always ask her, have you got a boyfriend? And, um, and she said, yes. And I said, well, when am I meeting him? <laughs> and she said, well, I know you're not going to like him. So what's the point? <laughs> I don't know if anyone's ever watched like um, Bad Boys with Will Smith and, um, the, and Martin mm. Lawrence. There's that scene where uh, Martin Lawrence's daughter's boyfriend comes to the door and like Will Smith standing there like intimidating him. That is my aunt. (laughs) (laughs) And she'll be so straight up with it. So what are your intentions with with my niece? (laughs) Karina, a lot of women resist the authority of their mum as they're kind of growing up. Obviously, with Eleanor being your aunt, did you kind of feel any of that tension or was that kind of exacerbated, do you think? I resisted any sort of authority. (laughs) I was like, I'm not going to be governed. Do you know who I am? And I wasn't ever like rude, but it was always, it was always matter of fact, you know, and I see it in my daughter and I look at her and I'm just like, oh my God, you are literally like a mini version of me. She's always very polite, but will then say, I'm not going to do <laughs> I have to get the last word in but yeah no I yeah. think um as much as I say you know I'm, I was cheeky and stuff I always respected what my mum or my aunt had to say mm-hmm. and even more so growing up now and now that you have a daughter of your own um has that kind of made you reflect on what it means to be a daughter what kind of daughter you were and are I have a newfound level of appreciation <laughs> <laughs> 
for the things that like my my mum would have gone through with me as a child. Mm. I'm surprised like my aunt and my mum didn't have grey hairs by the time <laughs> I was like 12 yeah. because it's a lot, you yeah. know. But um, yeah, I definitely have a wider understanding of um, what it means to be a mother since having my own daughter, um, but also what it means to be a daughter Growing up, a large part of my teenage years were was, you know, watching my mum go to hospital and have chemotherapy. And I understand the importance of just being present mm. and cherishing the moments that you have, because I'm also very conscious that there's going to be a time that I'm not here. And I want to be able to equip my daughter with the skills, values and morals to survive in life as a black woman that my aunt and my mum have instilled in me. Mm-hmm. On the flip side, we also wanted to know about the things that you won't be taking forward. So maybe, Eleanor, you can answer this first. Was there anything that you actively decided to do differently? For me, growing up, reading was everything to me. And my parents just didn't have the time to discuss any of the books with me that I'd read. Also, within those books, it illustrated who you are Mm -hmm. as a Black person because I found out about the history of people before me who contributed to who I am. And so I decided that books would be a central part of any child's life and you'd have those conversations And I wanted them to grow up with autonomy about who they are. Yeah, absolutely. Karina, how about you? Is there anything that you've decided to do differently? I think definitely having open and honest conversations about like boys and sex and your body and things like that. I think that's something that I've approached a little bit differently. And I know... Growing up, a lot of the time we were told, you know, that's that's grown folk Mm. business or that's adult conversations. Mm. Mm. But I think it's really important sometimes to have those conversations with your children so that they have a very open and wide view of the world. We were um, talking a bit in the intro before you joined us about our own relationships with our mums. And I was saying how my mum was a solo parent for some of my childhood before she got remarried. And I know that's your situation as well, Karina. Do you think being in that situation has impacted your relationship with your daughter at all? Yeah, she's probably fed up with me, to be honest. Because <laughs> it's just her and I in the house. She always says to me, Mum, when are you, you going to have a boyfriend? When are you going to get married? And I'm like, it's not that easy, honey. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, you know, yeah. I think um, it's enabled us to, I think, have quite a positive relationship and quite a close Mm. relationship Mm. I have a lot of friends that are um, male and you know she has a lot of uncles her godfather like they're all very present in her life so she um, and you know she has a good relationship with her own dad Mm. as well Um, but yeah it would be nice to have someone to share that work that that workload with but again you know I have the support of my aunt very much so I don't think she actually realizes the impact of those small gestures in supporting me as a single mother that and as a working mother as well it's so clear to you know talking to you both how close you are how have you been able to kind of maintain your relationship when you're not able to kind of see each other as regularly as you perhaps would otherwise um I think that's been quite good so just say you miss me it's fine (laughs) (laughs) oh I do I do but um I go on long walks Mm. And sometimes I would plan my walks to take me past 
where Karina lives. The problem is she's an early riser. So she will pop up at my house at like 7am full of like the joys of spring. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like literally like half a seat. She's like, come on, get up. I've I've already been on like a 10k walk and (laughs) you're retired. Like chill out. I want to sleep in my bed. And then I'll say to her, furthermore, supposing like I had a man in the house and she was like, well, we definitely know that's not true. So don't worry about that. Fine. But yeah, but you know, I have found it um, at times really difficult not seeing my aunt because as you can tell, we do have that very Mm. kind of like bantery, jokey relationship. I absolutely love to wind my aunt up. It's probably, and my daughter will probably say it's one of our favorite (laughs) pastimes, especially collectively to wind her up. So, you know, we have a lot of moments where we go to her house and she'll cook. Mm. You know, there's all these things that we do together to bond and we don't have that anymore. Is cooking together and sharing a meal like a big part of your relationship? I think in a Caribbean household, cooking is a major source of socialising. My own mother, she would always cook a little bit extra, not knowing if anyone might knock on the door whilst we're sitting down to eat. I've carried that on. I know your mum had carried that on as well, Karina. And Karina will carry that on. Yeah, I still do. Mm-hmm. I cook a full Sunday, like Caribbean Sunday dinner. It's just Sarah and I in the house. And that comes from the way that mm-hmm. I was raised by my aunt or my mum. She has that relationship with my daughter mm-hmm. as well. My aunt will always make time to do something with her. And it normally involves her going Food. taking her to a <laughs> restaurant. Yeah. And for me, it's just that's really important because, you know, my mum's not here to have that inter- that, that grandmother, um, granddaughter interaction. We wanted to hear a bit about the podcast as well. Um, Can you tell us, Karina, a bit about why it was so important to you to set that up? Why did you want to bring Black motherhood to the forefront? When um, you look online for support forums or support groups um, to navigate this thing we called motherhood and parenting. They're for white mothers. And it got me thinking, okay, so where do Mm. we go? And it's just a way for us to bring those stories of black motherhood to the forefront. And we are very upfront about our stories and our experiences. And it's about normalizing these experiences as well. And in doing that, we can support lots and lots of women. It's brilliant. The work you're doing is is so vital. We have one final question before we let you go that we put to our podcast guests, and that is what makes you uncomfortable? Um, shall I go first? Can I, yeah, can you go first? I'm chilling out. <laughs> I probably come across as a really confident person, and I am, but there is something that I totally lack confidence in. So if you were to invite me to a party that is essentially a dance party, I would immediately be totally uncomfortable because I have no confidence in my ability to dance. And that goes back to the fact that in our home, we did not have pop music. So I never, ever danced until I was 21 and I was taken to my first party. I stayed 15 minutes and asked to be taken home. And that feeling, I've kept it all my life. You know, mention the word party and dance and something goes in my stomach. (laughs) That's a shame. I love a good dance. How about you, Karina? What makes you uncomfortable? 
I would probably say what makes me feel uncomfortable is doing homeschooling with my daughter and getting a question wrong and her telling me, actually, mum, it's this. <laughs> and that is brutal. Very. Yeah. So, yeah, Amazing. there's not a lot that makes me uncomfortable. But what I'm realising at the moment is I feel really uncomfortable that I cannot do basic year six calculations. <laughs> I couldn't do long division then. I can't do long division now. And it doesn't matter. It's fine. <laughs> Brogan, I'm with you, honestly. <laughs> Thank you so much. It's been great having you both on. I really enjoyed it. Thank you for having us. You can find out more about Black Mums Upfront on Instagram under at Black Mums Upfront. So I've lived at home for about two years now with my mum and we get on incredibly well. She has a hilarious sense of humour. We bounce off each other. Um, we're both a bit crazy and she sometimes gives me like a really sassy attitude for a laugh. Um, so it's really fun living at home with her. We get on really well and I think we could easily say we get on like best friends. My friends often comment on it and notice it as well when they see us together. Um, and I just feel really lucky. It's quite a stark difference to our relationship when I was a teenager, and I blame most of that on me. I probably wasn't the easiest teen, um, but it's just been so nice, the fact that it's improved over the years. And I think it's due to me mellowing out a bit and her also coming into her own more. Today we're joined by relationship therapist and researcher Roshka Hesseldine. For over 20 years, she's worked with women and girls, creating the mother-daughter coaching model, which uncovers the hidden dynamics between mothers and daughters. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you. And thank you for talking about mothers and daughters. We can't wait to pick your brains about all of the research you've been doing over the years. So can you start by telling us what is so fascinating about the mother-daughter relationship? Well, actually, the mother-daughter relationship gives us a window into what it's like to be female. So what happened in our grandmother's life and what happens in our mother's life and what happens in our lives, that directly impacts how mothers and daughters relate. So mm. therefore, you know, the mother-daughter relationship is a snapshot in how women are treated within the family and within society. And if you look at patriarchy... And what it is like to live in a patriarchal society, that's actually the story of the mother-daughter relationship. You've written about how society sets mothers and daughters up for conflict, which was just a real kind of moment for us. Can you explain some of the key insights from your argument? When I started working with mothers and daughters, I was using, you know, the sort of theories that I'd been taught. And I very quickly realised they really weren't working. That's when I started to see that there were a number of themes that were rippling underneath every mother-daughter couple. And then when Skype came into existence, I started then working internationally mm. and I started seeing mothers and daughters from other cultures. And it was so fascinating because I started to see exactly the same themes. Mm. And the themes were basically women not having any needs, mm. not allowed to have any needs facilitating other people's needs, and we have to fit our needs around what other people need. And I saw that over and over again and how then mothers and daughters are set up to fight about whose needs get to be met, mm. 
who gets to be heard and to be understood. You understand what it's like to be me. Yeah. So that's how we're set up. And for you personally, what was it that drew you to this area of research? Of course, it was initially my mother, um, because my relationship with my mother was uh, pretty awful, actually. And then it was actually when my daughter was born. And it was such a profound moment for me. I just knew I had to find out what had gone wrong between my mother and I so that I wouldn't be recreating the same relationship with her. So why is this relationship so central to us understanding ourselves? Because our mother is our first model of what it means to be female. So all this, you know, the gender stereotypes and the gender roles and the expectations of what it means to be female. Our mother is our first teacher. So we form a sense of self by watching her. Growing up, you hear all these voices and beliefs and are we allowed to say exactly what we think Or do we have to worry about how our thoughts Mm. are perceived by others? Mm -hmm. And that's a huge one for mothers and daughters. And that's why the mother-daughter relationship is so powerful. You've done a lot of work about the hidden dynamics between mothers and daughters. Can you tell us a little bit about what you mean by this? Women are expected to silence themselves, put themselves last. And that's one of the huge hidden dynamics between mothers and daughters. I mean, if Mm. you think about it, if women are not heard in a family, how can a mother and daughter listen to each other? Mm. What happens then between mothers and daughters is there's a power struggle between who gets to be heard because they have no sense that normal is that both women deserve to be heard. All women deserve to be heard. I mean, I've never mapped a mother-daughter history where the grandmother was fully heard or the mother was fully heard. So no wonder mothers and daughters crave to be heard by each other. And the same with emotional support. If you grow up in a family where women are expected to support everybody else but not not claim the support that they need, then again, mothers and daughters have a power struggle going on there. But who gets support in the relationship? Both a mother and daughter deserve support. Mm. Could you tell us a bit about the myths around conflict between mothers and daughters? Because we know you've done some work on that as well. Hormones is one. Mothers and daughters fight because they're hormonal. Rubbish. I mean, the, the, the reason doesn't, doesn't corroborate that at all. I mean, it can exacerbate the conflict, but it's not the core reason. In a way, I think it's about blaming mothers and daughters rather than actually wanting to see that what they're fighting about Mm. and what they're arguing about and their struggle to feel heard and Mm. listen to each other is a much bigger picture Mm. here. The other one, and I used to hear this a lot, you're very much alike or you're very different. Mm -hmm. The other one is close. Their relationship is a very close relationship. So therefore, conflict is inevitable. No, no. Why would conflict be inevitable in a close relationship? Surely in a close relationship, you feel heard, you feel understood, you Mm. feel that you can say what's going on in your mind or how you really feel. Mm -hmm. So again, the research doesn't support that at all. Can you tell us who is it who tends to seek counselling more frequently about all of this? Is it mothers? Is it daughters? Do they come together? I'd love to know a bit more about that. For me, they usually come as couples. Most often it's the daughter Mm. and they're in their 20s, 30s and 40s. I mean, these women have woken up and started to connect the dots between, say, mum being a bit emotionally manipulative. And that is because she hasn't been taught to say, I need, I feel, I desire, I want. 
So she's learned a different language. And the daughters are saying, I don't want to inherit this. I want to be able to speak openly and honestly. They've seen how the mother puts everybody last, the self-effacing behaviour, the self-sacrificing behaviour, and they want mum in to the therapy in order to change that with her, which is absolutely brilliant. There's been a lot of emphasis on the mother being the source of the conflict, so what we might call mother blaming. Mm. Where has this come from? What do we mean by mother blaming and how is that damaging? So mother blaming is when, for example, if you're talking about mothers and daughters, so the daughter is suffering from an eating disorder. That's a common situation where the mother then is made to feel as if she caused it. There is something wrong with the way that she's mothered the daughter. Mm -hmm. The daughter might be depressed. The daughter might be angry. Again, the mother is then blamed for somehow causing this. Mm -hmm. It's a way that society is absolved of responsibility. Mm -hmm. But what are other factors that has led to a daughter having an eating disorder or being depressed or being angry? Mother blaming is hugely damaging. It's about the devaluing of the mother role and devaluing of women. And it's hugely toxic. It's also, I'm afraid, the therapy world needs to hold its hand up to the many ways that it has blamed mothers mm. for their children's problems mm. when there is a much bigger picture to be had. So she just can't win, essentially. It doesn't matter who she has as her kids. No, exactly. She's supposed to socialise her daughter to be actually self-effacing, put mm. everybody first, mm. be very nice. Oh, that's a horrible word for women. Mm. And if the daughter wants to say exactly what she's thinking and take care of her own needs, then in a sense, again, mum's to blame. She hasn't really done her job properly. We know that you have some daughters coming in to speak to you about their mothers who are in their 20s, 30s. What are the biggest kind of intergenerational conflicts that you see there when you're mapping out these relationships? So, yes, yeah, so one of the huge themes is women don't know what they need. But there's another huge theme that I see too, and that's jealousy. And that is hugely misunderstood. Mm. Again, if you're talking about mother blaming, if a mother is jealous of the daughter's career, success, opportunities, freedom, she's shamed into keeping silent about mm. that. And what happens between mothers and daughters is that the daughter then becomes what I call the uncomfortable mirror. The mother then sees what she was not allowed to do, what she was not allowed mm. to be. It may be about career or education, but it could also be about if the mum didn't have a loving partner. So it never comes out, I'm jealous, I've not never heard that. It can come out in, you know, putting the mm. daughter down, little snide comments, not really celebrating some of her successes. The, there's an ocean of mm. grief there with mothers. I am convinced if my mother and my grandmother and all our mothers and grandmothers were able to do what they wanted to do and bring their gifts to the world, would we have the world we have today? I suspect not. Is conflict between mothers and daughters quite common in your research, do you think? Sadly, it's extremely common. It's epidemic, mainly because of the reason I just said, because we still live in a society and a world that really doesn't listen to women. So mothers and daughters, again, play out in their relationship, the inequality and the sexism and the violence and, and other, you know, experiences that women have, but it's easily fixed. That's that's the great news. I mean, it really is. I'm not sure if it's incredibly depressing that this is something experienced by so many women across so many cultures or 
actually, if it's a little reassuring, is it empowering or or the opposite? How do you view that? I think it's empowering because we can't change what we don't know. When I map these the mother-daughter history, which is just basically mapping out what it means to be female in their generational family, their shoulders go down and they're like, oh, so it's not my fault. When we mm. know why, mm. we can change it. And if we're going to kick patriarchy to the curb at some point, maybe not in my lifetime, but hopefully maybe in yours, <laughs> I don't know. We need to understand how it adversely impacts women. We've spoken a lot about conflict between mothers and daughters, but obviously some mothers and daughters would describe themselves as best friends, thick as thieves and all the rest of it. Can mothers and daughters ever be best friends in your opinion? The short answer is no. They can be really close. My definition of close is they really know what it's like to be in each other's Mm. shoes. So the daughter knows what it's like to be mum and the mum knows what it's like to be daughter. But mum's always Mm. mum and the daughter's always the daughter. Both do need to have best friends outside of the relationship as well. So we shouldn't be striving for that then? Strive for, I would say, the equation, feeling heard, feeling understood. There is a dynamic between mothers and daughters where they then become burdened by each other's issues. Mm. So there does need to be room to breathe Mm. so that we can be our own people and free to live our own lives. Is that how you'd like to see the mother-daughter relationship evolve in the future? Yes, so that women can support each other to be in their own lives Mm. and there's enough room for all their needs, all their dreams, all their desires. So how can we start to break a cycle of a difficult relationship between mothers and daughters? So understanding what mum's life was like and what you have learnt from mum about what it means to be female. What did mum learn what it means to be female from her mother, the grandmother? And understand what has been passed down. And there is a lot of great stuff that often gets passed down. So that can be magnified, that can be honoured, but also the themes that are passed down. But when you're talking about violence or eating disorders or depression Mm -hmm. or or those sort of themes, it's very, very important not to blame ourselves, but to ask, why is this Mm -hmm. happening? Why has, say, violence been normalised in my family? I see eating disorders as a a response where women have too little power over their lives, so we then control Mm -hmm. what we eat. So looking at why. And how can the mother-daughter relationship be harnessed into something positive to have like a positive impact for women going I think the mother-daughter relationship is absolutely central to generational Mm. change every client I work with is about creating generational change because when a mother and daughter come together and learn how to really listen to each other and stand in each Mm. other's shoes that is generational Mm. change because it means that when the daughter has a daughter Mm. it will be different for her and the next one and the next one so many of the things you've spoken about, I'm kind of thinking about how that can apply to, you know, mm. my, the women in my mm, family and, and my relationship with my mum. It's fascinating. It's, 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 it's really amazing. Yeah. And I think that's where I feel so honoured. And I, I do believe it was this mm. job was given to me. I, I do believe that. And trust me, it's not mm. been an easy task because the mother-daughter relationship is marginalised mm. within therapy world. So I had, I've had to fight for this. And then seeing individual clients, if they could see the helicopter view that I get to see the shame or the guilt or the mother blaming or the it's all my fault, that they're nowhere near alone. 
in what's going on. I think it would make it would make such a difference, which is why I now teach this to therapists. You talked just then about having to kind of fight to do what you do. Why do you think it was marginalised? I mean, anything that's going to disrupt the patriarchy, oh my goodness, we have to marginalise that. You know, I mean, I think pure and simple, it's too powerful. I'm really glad that you're tackling that. Um, Before we let you go, we have one final question that we put to our podcast guests, and that is, what makes you uncomfortable? People who are unbelievably sure of their rightness. You know, so people who have very, like, Mm. I am right, you're wrong, I'm big, Mm. you're small, who are totally and and feel insulted when you don't Mm. agree with them. I am so out Mm. the door when that happens. But also it's allowing people to have their own views. It's, again, freedom to breathe, to think, to see the world from behind your own eyes rather than having to see the world from somebody else's perspective all the time. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for bringing this to to women. Um, Really, really appreciate it. To learn more about mother-daughter relationships, find Roshka Hesseldine's books, The Mother-Daughter Puzzle and The Silent Female Scream from independent bookshops. So I wanted to share about um, the relationship that I had with my mother. Um, She sadly passed away in November and we didn't see eye to eye, especially when I was growing up. We often triggered each other and I thought we were so, so different. But actually, on reflection, we are very similar. And it was only when she was dying um, and after her death, I realised the impact that she gave me and the way that she loved me. She helped me to really stand in my power and challenged me on on a lot of things so that I was able to be the person I am today. I'm not sure if I want my mum to listen to this episode or not, really. (laughs) I think we could both learn a lot from it. Yeah, that's a a scary prospect. I'm not sure I'm quite ready for it yet. It's a big one, isn't it? Especially Mm. because listening to Roshka saying about how it's so much more than our individual relationship. Like it's a reflection of society and the patriarchy. (laughs) And I always thought that my relationship with my mom was very unique to us. And when she was talking, I was just thinking about how there's such a generational divide and a lot of this comes from poor communication where we don't really understand each other, we don't really hear each other. and, Mm. And it's just really a really reflective one for us both. For it is. I think it's one of those ones that's really going to stick with me over time. Mm. You know, the more you think about it, the the deeper you get, and it's just whether you're whether you're ready to to go that deep on it all. I loved having Karina and her aunt Eleanor on. That was just such a lovely relationship between them. It was just mm-hmm. so warm and so funny, and like their stories. Eleanor just, you could tell the affection she had for Karina because where Karina would say, you know, I am I was mouthy when I was a teenager, Eleanor's choice of words was slightly different. <laughs> <laughs> a lot softer, yeah. And hearing about the lessons that they've taken or not taken from mm. their own mums and their own parents, just so interesting to think about how we choose what to take with us and also yeah. what to leave behind. It's just really fascinating, yeah, I think. Yeah, definitely. It's like watching motherhood evolve through mm. the generations, but yeah. kind of 
as Roshka was saying, like if we don't change anything, then, then if you have got a negative relationship, it just continues and continues and continues. So mm. it's actually really great to hear Eleanor talking about tweaking things that she mm. felt she needed in her childhood. And then Karina has also tweaked things. That's something to take inspiration from, actually. I also think there's so much pressure on mothers to be the perfect mum. Mm. And if this has kind of shown us anything, is that there isn't a way to do it. It really seems to be more about stepping back, taking a bit of time to reflect on how you were parented and a place in wider society. Yeah, definitely. I think it's a great episode for us to end on because it's such a huge, huge topic. And uh, it is our last of the season as well, which is sad. This is our Ooh. our final episode of season two. Um, but I've enjoyed recording it a lot. We've covered loads of topics that I've loved. Some of my favourites were the women in anger, one one on fertility and friendship, um, which was great. Ageism. I have thought a lot about my own language and the way I speak about older women after recording mm. that episode. And there have been some uncomfortable moments too in this series. <laughs> my most uncomfortable moment was when Rachel's internet cut out just at the precise moment when Elaine Miller was teaching us and then just me on my own, how to do <laughs> our pelvic floor exercises properly. I think that part of the episode went on for a couple of minutes, just me on my own. <laughs> clenching. Clenching, basically. <laughs> that was my most uncomfortable moment, I think. What was yours? I think for me, it was hearing about childbirth and my yeah. God, we heard the words tearing a lot. <laughs> as important as it is, it's, it's a lot to deal with. <laughs> mm. If any of that appeals to you, despite the uncomfortableness, you can listen back to those episodes or any other episodes from seasons one or two that you might have missed. You'll find those from wherever you get your podcasts. And in the meantime, while we're on a break, please subscribe to our podcast and leave us a wonderful review. I'm Rachel Moss and you can find me at Rachel Moss underscore. And I'm Brogan Driscoll and you can find me at Brogan underscore Driscoll. This podcast is produced by Rachel Porter. Our assistant producer is Marta van der Wolf and our sound engineer is Nag Karinde. You've just listened to Am I Making You Uncomfortable? Hashtag A-I-M-Y-U. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 